Good morning, church. How we doing? Good, good, good. Are we on right there? We're good. All right. All right, well, hey, uh, again, my name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, man, excited to get in. We just came out of a sermon series, Belief, where we explored some of us that maybe have been joining us with some questions and doubts on even why it, does God exist. And so if you weren't here for that, I encourage you to go back, listen to our podcast, and check it out um, if you have some of those questions. We also, we polled this summer, what would you all like to learn about? And so we asked that question, and that came up, the, the sermon series Belief, that's why we did that. And then the coming weeks, we're going to explore a, a book, the book of James, Faith and Works. And so we're going to look at that in the coming weeks. So hope you'll join us for that and kind of exploring how do you have faith and how do you live this out in this day and age. But today we're, we're going to pause a little bit, and we're going to look at this key assignment that Jesus gives us. So we need to stop before going to, to James. I feel like God's got a word for us this morning that, that we need to hear as we prepare as a church for uh, this mission that Jesus has called us to do. As you've been hearing us talk about our, our mission is not unique to just us, but we want to help people find and follow Jesus. That's our call as followers, to help people wherever you're at, help them find Jesus, help them follow. And that goes for ourselves. So this morning, we're, we're going to look at, turn, let's go to Matthew 4. We're going to go chapter 4 and verse 19. We'll put it up on the screen. But as we're turning there, um, and if you don't have a Bible, we've got our big blues in the pews. Go ahead and grab one of those. Take that home. That's our, our gift to you. Uh, I, I want to share this, just thinking about, before we go into this passage, have you guys just, I had this dream the other night. Have you ever, am I the only one, have I had this dream? You're like, I don't know, tell us the dream. Uh, this dream where maybe you're in college, high school now, you've graduated years ago. And, and this dream, I have this dream over and over again. I, I come in, I sit down, it's usually chemistry. I hated chemistry. Sorry, any chemistry people out there. Uh, I'd sit down and usually the professor, the teacher has a test. And I didn't know about it. Maybe it wasn't in the syllabus. And it's just like this feeling, or maybe it's in your job. You sit down, and there's something due, and you didn't have it done. Am I the only one? Is that just me? Okay, all right. I'm not alone. It's kind of this common occurrence, right, to have this dream or this anxiety of not being prepared. And in the same way, I started to think about this passage. Jesus comes, and he gives a two-part assignment. And I read this week, it was so fascinating, came across this study that showed that Jesus gives this assignment, and I'll tell us in a moment what that assignment is. But he gives kind of a two-part assignment, and then there was a study that came out that says the second part of this assignment, the majority of Christians never complete even one aspect of that before they die. So they fail to do it. I had to think about which finger I'm putting down, right? So they only get half of the assignment. Now, I don't know how well you did in school, but 50%, that's an F, right? And you could even argue if Jesus gives in this a two-part assignment that really, if you don't complete the second one, you actually don't even complete the first one. So uh, I, as your pastor, I don't want us to wake up with that like feeling of, what, what happened on the exam? What, where is this exam? There's a call that Jesus, he's very clear in the assignment. And if the majority of American Christians actually don't even complete the assignment, I, I want to let you know it's actually a lot easier than we might think. So I want to equip you today. So let's go. We're going to go to Matthew 4.19 right there. The very beginning, if you're taking notes, pull those, pull your note cards out, man. We've got seven points today, so get ready. Uh, I know that's a lot more than normal, but 
Here we go. We ready? Tell your neighbor. Tell your neighbor. I'm ready. Tell him. And if your neighbor's not, say, get ready. Hit him. Wake him up. Like, get ready. Go get him some coffee at the coffee bar. Like, let's make this happen this morning. Uh, so Jesus says, come. In this beginning of this passage, and let me set the scene a little bit. Jesus is about to enter onto the scene. And this is before Jesus ever performs a miracle. Before he does anything, he, he goes around and he's collecting disciples, if you will. He's asking people to follow him. So he comes, he approaches these fishermen, and he says these words. He says, come follow me. If you're taking notes, write that first one down, that first box. Come follow me. This is the call of Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. Now, what Jesus is not saying, he doesn't come and go to his disciples and say, hey, uh, it would be nice if you could say you're a Christian. Or could you post on, if they had it back then, your Facebook or maybe a verse on your Instagram? Could you just say, yay, Jesus, and that'll be cool? No, what does Jesus say? He says, come, follow me. The, the word disciple in the Greek as the New Testament's written, is this word methetes. Methetes can mean disciple, learner, apprentice. It also can mean follower. So Jesus isn't saying, can you just on social media, hit a like or, or give me a little like and, you know, when I say something cute. He says, follow me. Follow me. Wherever I go, I want you to go with me. And so that is the call of all followers of Jesus, to go where he goes. Now, I, I love the song we sang uh, this morning. As we were saying, asking God to come into the Holy Spirit, fill this place Welcome this place in your atmosphere and your presence. And so calling God into this place, Jesus says, follow me. I, you are invited by Jesus to join in his ministry, to join in his works. Think about that. Because Jesus calls you into community. This is so important, friends, that Jesus is mentioning this. Notice this. Before he turns water into wine, before he gives sight to the blind, he, he goes around. He says, I'm not going to do this alone. So he doesn't run off and perform all these miracles. What does he do first? He goes and gathers people. People that are less powerful than him. Jesus being God in the flesh, he goes and he gathers people. And these people we know, they're full of mistakes. They're not perfect people. And that's what the church is. We are people, we're full of mistakes. But he calls them, he invites them into this wonderful community. And so he invites them to follow him. And now let's look at what does this journey look like? Uh, second box down, followers of Jesus desire to grow to spiritual maturity. A true follower of Jesus will desire to grow to spiritual maturity. And let me give you an example of this. Paul in Colossians 1.28 says this. He says, he, speaking of Jesus, he is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So we're doing all this teaching, we're proclaiming, we're admonishing, we're teaching everyone with all of this wisdom, but what is our goal? So that, so he's saying we're doing all, doing all these things so that everybody would be fully mature in Christ. I'm coaching my little daughter's under six or under seven at you, so under seven soccer team. The, the little girls, 
the team name, I just have to share the team name, is awesome. We're asking all these girls, what, what do you want to call the, the team? You know, it's like unicorns and butterflies. And then the tiniest girl on her team raises her hand. She goes, dream crushers. And I'm just like, yes. So that's our team name. We just all start dying. So we're like, yes, this little girl, we're the dream crushers. So on the dream crushers, we gather all the dream crushers together and we're kind of like casting this vision for them, saying, at the beginning of the season, you know, you got to live up to this name. you got to crush dreams. You know, I don't know. What are we teaching these girls? But we're telling them every practice you're going to get better and you're going to grow. And the same little girl raises her hand. She says, what if I don't want to get better? <laughs> and so I was just like, I've never heard somebody say that. And we were just laughing, but she's already growing. There's this idea, the whole team kind of laughed. This idea, who doesn't want to get better? So as Christians, as followers of Jesus, our goal, my goal is to become more mature. So let's talk about this process. What is this process of becoming fully mature? Let's look at these stages. We're going to look at these life stages that we're going to kind of outline the next points. So the very first one we're going to look at is being a spiritual infant. Next box down. A spiritual infant. So where we all begin. Similar to our faith is very similar to how we enter into this world in life. It, it, you know, Revelation 20, the end book, there's this fascinating uh, phrase that's used. These believers, they had a second death. So, so what is this word second death? It, so that means they died once. And now Revelation is full of a lot of interesting stuff. But there's this passage that says there's a second death. So in order to live, to die again, you must have at one point died. So as the scriptures, Paul even writes that we all, before knowing Jesus, were dead in our trespasses, dead in our sin. What do dead people do? Nothing. Nothing. But as Jesus says, and he says this to Nicodemus, if you want to follow me, if you believe in me, you must be what? Born again. So as you enter into this world, my... My wife being pregnant, I'm kind of preparing for these, these days coming up, sleepless nights, and thinking about babies. And, and if you've been around babies, what, at the beginning stages, so it's funny because, like, you'll carry a little baby around, and people will come up and be like, oh, cherish that moment. You know, I miss it. And I look at them like, really? You don't miss waking up in the middle of the night, right, and changing poopy diapers, all this stuff. Like, we glorify the, the good stages, but some of the trenches, it's difficult. And, and, and we talk about this. Sometimes we can look at kids, right, and be like, man, wouldn't that be good to have somebody feed you, always have naps, like, right? It would be good. So there's an aspect that about a child is good. But really, if you think about it, would we really like it that much? You're playing with a toy or something you like, and somebody just picks you up and takes you somewhere else and says, now you got to go to bed. I mean, imagine just being controlled like that. There's aspects as we step into maturity, we would not like these things. So let, let's break down a spiritual infant. What are some of the good things about a spiritual infant? Uh, in many ways, well, it's just the reality. They're dependent, right? They need mom, dad to feed. Well, I don't know how dad's going to feed the baby when it first comes out, but maybe a bottle. Um, but they need somebody to feed them. Look at what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 3 says, like newborn babies, long for pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. 
So little children, they're babbling. They need to learn how to speak. And so studies have shown over and over again, the more you speak to a child, sing to them, read to them, the more they are able to uh, develop their language abilities. And so a child needs to receive word. And how do you and I receive word? It's God's word. I encourage you, get in his word, learn from it, just fill your minds with it, because the more your mind is filled with it, the more you'll repeat it. So ways, let's look at a few ways that infants can grow. One of them is get baptized. If you have maybe in the the coming weeks, we've just had last week, uh, eight people commit or recommit their lives to the Lord. And so uh, what is the first step? Uh, To get baptized. Jesus said it as he, what's known in the scriptures as the Great Commission. Right before he goes off to heaven, he commissions his disciples, these followers, the apprentices, and he says, go, he says, therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he's telling his disciples, your goal is to baptize. So if you just became a believer, get baptized. Jesus commanded it. Maybe you were baptized as a young kid and you weren't aware of it. I encourage you, get baptized. And then the next little step, get rooted. If you are just learning about the faith, or maybe you would like to walk somebody else through the faith, we've got a 10-week journey called Rooted. Uh, What you can do right now, pull out your smartphone. You can email office at wilshireab.com and just say Rooted. Put your name, and I want to get rooted. You can do it on the cards, the welcome cards. Uh, Put them on their connection booth out there. Take that next step and figure out what, what is this faith about? What is this journey? Now, the third thing I I want us to look at, this might be a shock for some of us. And and I'm going to kind of let the study out of the bag. Remember I said half of Christians don't complete that second, oop, I almost did it. (laughs) They don't complete that second assignment. Let's go that one, right? They fail. We fail. Do you know what it is that most American Christians never do by the time they die? the majority of American Christians never share their faith with another person. The majority of people don't share their faith with even one person. What about children? You know, even as a pastor, I have to be intentional about sharing faith with my own children. It's easy just to drop off the kids and then pick them up and not talk about God. Many people can go to their grave without sharing about Jesus. Now, let me demystify it a little bit because the second pastor says something like that, because I I think of all of us, let me ask this question. When is the last time you shared your faith? When's the last time you maybe shared what Jesus has done in your life with somebody, a friend, a friend, a family member, a coworker? If you're like the majority, maybe you feel a little convicted of, man, I have it. But here's good news, friends. It's a lot easier than we think. In American Christianity, we've, we've done a disservice to the church by overcomplicating with pamphlets and saying you need to know these spiritual laws and steps. And trust me, these are great steps. I learned these and loved these growing up. But let me share this story. Go ahead and write it down on your notes. I'm giving you homework. Uh, we did this as our life group. At Mark chapter 5. Let me tell this little story from Mark chapter 5. Because this is something, I want to pause right here. This is something infants can do. Notice that we're in the stage of infancy. And Mark chapter 5, there's this scene. Jesus is on a boat. 
And he goes across, and he goes across the other side. We've preached on this before here. He goes across, and he gets out of the boat, and hears the scripture say, there's a man that's demon-possessed. And, and so maybe you might be, all right, pastor, you already lost me right there. Demon-possessed, really? But as we look at it, it, maybe we would agree on what this man was doing. He was cutting himself. He was bonded in chains, and, and he was just screaming at people. So whether you believe in demon possession or not, I think we could agree this guy's not in his right mind, right? And so this man not in his right mind, as the scriptures say, he was demon possessed, comes to Jesus and, and starts screaming and he's, he's, he's aware of who Jesus is. And Jesus casts the demon out of this man. And then he does this. This man's whole life, he went from being unclothed, he was naked, he was just out of his mind, just crazy. And, and some of us grew up learning the story. He, when Jesus says, who are you? He says, for we are legion, for we are many, describing the demon possession. Jesus casts out the demons, and this man goes from being insane to having a clear mind and being in a clear state. His life was transformed by Jesus. Now the story continues on that Jesus begins to leave, and they all, all the disciples like, come on, do what disciples did. They followed Jesus. And so Jesus got in the boat, and these, the, this man tried to get in the boat. What Jesus ends up doing, he gives kind of a first century Heisman and says, no, you can't get in my boat. He says, you actually have to go. He says, don't get in my boat. Go back to your hometown and tell them how the Lord has had mercy on you. Later on, it's not in chapter 5, but it continues on, the whole city of the capitalists is from where he's from gets transformed. Because this man who is crazy and out of his mind is all of a sudden in his right mind, and all he's got one simple message, he just says, look how God has had mercy on me. I was a wreck. I was trying to kill myself. I was trying to kill other people, and now here I am. He didn't know the spiritual laws. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't have a PhD. But he had a simple line. And he shared how God had had mercy on him. Very similar story with the, the blind man that's healed. There's all this religious debate on whether Jesus did this on the, on the Sabbath and all these things. And the blind man says, look, I don't know. I, I don't know who this Jesus is. He says, all I know is this. That I was blind and now I see how do you argue with that? We, we just looked at in the past four weeks how you can intellectually and academically follow Jesus. How, how you can study the scriptures. And I believe you don't have to have a blind faith. And I encourage you to study. But at the same time, there's an aspect of our faith that you can just simply share. And you don't have to understand all of these depths. God can do mir miraculous things in your life. Share about them. Go, at Jesus' words, go and tell them how God has had mercy on you. That's a story. An infant can share that. Why can an infant share that? Because the promise of the scripture is that you and I, we get the power of the Holy Spirit. So an infant can be energized to accomplish this whole city of Decapolis. The whole city was transformed by this man. He didn't have the PhD. Transformed. Let's look at this. Let's go, let's go on to the next stage of spiritual development, a child, okay? So the call is to grow. And let me say this. Let me pause for a moment. As we look at these stages, I, I want us to use them for self-reflection 
not for identification and not for labeling. Can we do that, church? Because here's why I want to bring up this point. Because it's very easy to start, I, I can give you these spiritual classes and stages, developments of growth, uh, developmental growth, but what we can quickly do is the church and say, ah, that person's an infant. Ooh, that person's just a child. Don't do that. It, let these be self-reflection. Encourage you how you can grow. Don't use them to label people or box them in. Because we all know we can have jumping back and forth from different categories. But so just, okay, as a young child grows and they become older, it would be funny if an adult is still acting like a little child, right? The goal for everyone is to grow. It's cute when a baby is one years old. It's cute when a baby's six months. But it's not cute when somebody's 70 years old and they're still acting like a one-year-old, amen? So the call is to grow. So spiritual children grow. Now we all know this, age does not determine your spiritual growth. I was watching Jimmy Kimmel Live, he had this little boy, five years old, little boy genius, comes on stage, and he's up here, he knows all, I might even get it wrong, how many, 196, is 196, 192 countries in the world? Somebody, fact check me. Uh, so 196 countries, he knows all the countries in every single capital. And so Jimmy Kimmel posts it up on, and he goes, it's this. And then he, he, like, in the middle of the show, he gets up and says, actually, your map up here that you have on the wall is not even correct. He's like, Sudan is actually broken up into two countries. And Jimmy Kimmel's like, I didn't know that. He's like, I got to fire somebody <laughs> that put the wrong map up. And, and so it's incredible. He starts to put up, like, Yugoslavia, and he's naming all these things. So this little five-year-old, I'm like, I don't know that, those things. And this little five-year-old knows it. So spiritual maturity is not determined by age. Just as a young child can know some great things, we can see right here, we'll show a few pictures, adults, right? We, we do some pretty dumb stuff. <laughs> we don't always have it together. This next one, think about it. Who designed that one? Some of you are still getting it. <laughs> But right, we can do some things. You can, just because you're older in years, doesn't mean necessarily that you're mature, that you won't make mistakes. So our call is to follow. So here's some steps spiritual children can take. First is get in a life group. Get in community. Worship with family on Sundays. Grow in the study of the word. Don't just receive the word because a baby has to have someone feed them. A child can begin to feed themselves. And it's so important for a child to learn developmentally how to feed themselves. Our, our little boy, Luke, is not quite two years old, and so we're teaching him now how to feed himself, but it, it doesn't come without mistakes. This morning, kid you not, he decided he was all done, bowl full of Cheerios and milk, and says, I'm done, whack, and throws it across the room, poof, hits the wall. Some people, I've heard the phrase, no sense crying over spilt milk. Whoever said that was not a parent. <laughs> Milk stinks. Like, you start to get milk in the hardwood. You get milk on the walls. It smells. And so if you don't, it's messy. Spiritual, raising up spiritual children in the church, friends, as we talk about discipleship, it's going to be a messy process. It, you're going to walk with people. So if you're somebody that's a little more mature and you're walking with somebody, guess what? It's not going to be easy. 
You're going to help them and you're going to feed them some word. And sometimes they're everything, you're doing everything right. And they take those Cheerios and throw them on the mill and say, now what? You know, that's what my son did. He looked at me and I was like, shoot, <laughs> what do I do? There's not much you can do. But what we can call people to is growth. Just because my son messed up doesn't mean I'm now the rest of my day is going to spoon feed him. I have to teach him, correct him. Does the scripture say train him? And so that's how we all continue to grow. I love this verse that Paul says um, in 1 Thessalonians talking about this. He says, we were not looking for praise from people, not from you or from anyone else, as though as apostles of Christ we could have exerted, uh, asserted our authority. So he's saying as apostles we could have come in of like, we're the big shots. We're, we're the ones that spiritually mature. But what's his approach? He says this. He says, instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Like a nursing mother cares for a child as a child throws milk against the wall and still loving them and caring for them. That's our call, to care for other people, to love them, to help them grow and to help ourselves grow. Let's look at the next step. Young adult, a spiritual Young adult. So think back, whether you're in high school or heading into college now, think about this stage, or maybe it's years past for you. Thinking back to that stage, think about getting a job, stepping into adulthood, and just some of the responsibilities. No longer, what, what do kids always say? Kids always say, me, me, I want, I want. And another beautiful aspect, just to mention about kids, I love how kids question, why? I love how my little girls always say, why, dad, why? Why? So if you're a child, keep asking why. Grow, learn. But then as you move into adulthood, it's less you learn how to feed yourself. You learn how to begin to help other people. I had a buddy share this story I thought was really good. I was like, man, that preaches. Um, he was sharing that in his life, he grew up, he, his family, he didn't have a lot of money. And so he was going off and he was having to work and help pay for college. And he started to look around some of his buddies and all of his buddies, the parents were just writing checks and making so they could go to college and they didn't have to work at all. So they could focus on their studies. And so he started to become a little resentful and said, man, like, why couldn't my parents have a little more money? And why do I have to work and go to school? And so he was just getting more and more frustrated with it. And he said, one day in the middle of college, I decided to sit my dad down and just say, dad, like, why can't you step it up? Why? why can't you just pay for my college? His dad said, all right, son, let, let's sit down. Gently, he says, your mom has a full-time job. Do you know your mom, in order to help pay for college, has picked up extra hours at work to help you out? He says, I have a full-time job. I've picked up extra work just so you can go to college. He says, we need to have a shift here that this family doesn't exist for you, but you, we all exist as part of the family. So you need to understand that you exist. You are part of this family. This family doesn't just exist for you. This family doesn't revolve around you. You contribute. So a spiritual young adult actually moves from dad, me, me, what can I get to, you know what, I'm actually part of the family and I carry some of the load. 
So spiritual young adults begin to say, not only, well, I'm not getting fed here, my life group isn't doing this for me, or I'm not getting fed in this way, so I'm going somewhere else, or my discipler isn't that smart, or different things. No, a young adult knows how to feed themselves. And a young adult actually knows how to feed other people. And think about this, how does the world measure success? The world measures success on how much income you can acquire, and how many people think of high positions of power that are celebrated. High wealth, CEOs, right? And then how many people work underneath them. So how much money you can acquire and how many people serve and work for you. Jesus comes and he says it is better to give than to receive. So the kingdom is upside down in the sense that Jesus says it's not how much you can acquire but how much can you give. Not how many people serve you but how many people can you serve. And so he calls us to this very different lifestyle. We break it down here at Wilshire in two different ways. As the scriptures say that we're called, and, and go and look these up, uh, Galatians 6.10, that says to care for, especially the household of believers. So we want to have a heart for the house, a heart for each other, a heart for God's house. The, the scriptures say that you will flourish in the courts of the Lord like a palm tree. We are called to flourish together. Hebrews 10, 24 says, encourage one another. Your mission, if you're a young adult, is not to come to church just to receive, but it's to bless other people. Give them a word of encouragement. This life is discouraging, isn't it? Isn't this life difficult? What if you came not to just get fed on Sunday mornings, but you came to give an encouraging word? To lift somebody up, to encourage them, to pray for them, to stop, well, let's pray about that. Let's go out to lunch, let's go out to coffee, let's talk about this. That's our mission. And then, so a heart for the house, but we realize we don't want to just be selfish. This church is not just about Wilshire. We believe in the capital C church. We believe in blessing other churches. I was just approached by somebody um, this morning in the earlier service and saying, hey, there's another pastor that needs some help. I gave that pastor your number. Is that okay? Absolutely. Because our, what I love is our board, our team has been committed, not just how we're winning is not just about what's going on here, but in the whole kingdom. We want to see other churches thrive. We want to see other people thrive. And not only do we want to see other churches thrive, we want to see people that don't know God thrive. Why we're doing those fall festivals? We've learned in this city, some of these schools have 92% of these students are socio and economically disadvantaged. In our own community, we have children growing up in poverty. And so we've said, you know what, not only are we doing festivals like this, we're saying, hey, these schools don't have just the joy of a fall festival, so we're going to come in, we're going to pay for it, we're going to take care of it, we're going to get volunteers. We're going to get volunteers, right? Yeah. We're going to come in and bless these just bless this community and, and be a part in realizing that it's a blessing for us as well. But it's not just one and done. We don't believe in one and done ministry. We have continued to work with these schools and empower them, rebuild their libraries, and on and on it goes. So if you're interested, get involved in that. So we say a heart for the house and a heart for the city. A spiritual young adult becomes a difference maker. Are you a difference maker? Are you making a difference in somebody else's life? Let me end with these last two ones. A spiritual parent. A spiritual parent goes and shares with other people. 
So as we were talking about, as you move into adulthood, think about adults. Some of you adults know just being somewhat new parent, you know, five, six years in, and I'm still learning these things, but Christmas for you know, for some of you young parents know and parents that have been along, you, you know this change that's happened around Christmas time, right? You used to love what I can get around Christmas time. But your mentality changes as a parent. It's no longer about what you get, but you love, you'll do anything. You'll, I mean, some of these parents are waiting all night, you know, up all night for Elmo's and GameCube, all these, not GameCube's, what is that, Nintendo DS, uh, all these different things. Parents, they're crazy, but why? They love their children. Now, I argue that the kids need your parent. They need you more than they need these toys. But I think there's a good value in there. They love their kids and they'll do anything for them. And that's what Jesus does for us. So a spiritual, the last point, box number seven, is this. Spiritual parents leave a legacy. Spiritual parents leave a legacy. Spiritual parents actually do something. They will make other disciples. We're going to be coming up in a season as a church where we are actually about making disciples, life-on-life transformation. Because life happens, we have transformation, not just from teaching, but when we walk with people. A few weeks ago, I was at this uh, pastor's conference, and uh, this this wonderful man's up front, and uh, he's... um, Planting churches in India has planted over 30,000 churches. What was planting churches? Starting churches. Starting new works of hospitality and starting new works of sharing hope. So he's, he started 30,000 churches and he stands up on the stage and very gently and he's speaking to a bunch of American pastors and he says, he says, could we all agree whether in India or in America, the common mission for the church is out of Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Verse 19 goes, therefore go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. And he says, very gently, he says, you Americans, you always stop at teaching them. He says, you pastors, you love to teach and teach. And you're like, yeah, Rob, shut up. Like, (laughs) wrap it up, right? You just always teach. So it it was such a good word. It was like, yeah, pastors, we, in America, we love to teach. But he says, "What, what goes on after that? It says, teaching them to obey. We love to come to church. I love to come to church, learn new words and learn sermon. We need to do that. We need to encourage each other. The scriptures say, don't give up on the habit of meeting together. But it's not just about teaching and learning. Because when you learn something new, you get a dopamine boost. And so this dopamine boost can make you feel like you've actually accomplished something. But don't be fooled, friends. Just because you get that boost doesn't mean you actually accomplish something. What the scriptures say, we need to teach each other how to obey. And it's a lot simpler than we think. Let me share this last story. Did I give you spiritual parents leave a legacy? This story came out of Australia. This mother, uh, she was trapped in a hailstorm. And you know hail, I mean, we don't know about this in Southern California. But hail can actually, these just balls of ice can sometimes get as big as like softballs. And so she pulls off to the side of the road, can no longer drive. It's just pelting her car, boom, boom. Her little daughter's an infant in the back car seat and just screaming and crying. And then you'll see the worst happens, the glass breaks. The back seat window, the glass where her daughter is breaks. And you could see the car seat 
where she's back here. All of a sudden, these golf-sized uh, hail is now falling directly on the daughter. But before that can even happen, the mother doesn't even think. She jumps back in the back seat and lays over her daughter. Look at this picture of the mom. There were more gruesome pictures than this. She had to go to the emergency room because she was just pelted from just head to toe. And she just laid over her daughter and just took the beating one after another until the hailstorm stopped. That's what a parent does. That's what a spiritual parent does. Jumps in and realizes this life isn't just about myself, but it's about somebody else. The measure of success is no longer about the fruit that grows on your trees, but it's the measure of success is the fruit that grows on other people's trees. It will cost you. The cost is great, but the challenge is great. Jesus says in Matthew 16, if anyone will come after me, you will lose your life. He says, but if you try and find your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. You will find life. You know what? I can't imagine the mother's joy. Although this hurt, to know, I wish I had a picture of it. Her daughter came out with just a few scratches. Beautiful, just baby soft skin. Her mom's skin just looked terrible and so much bruising and internal bleeding going on. And this baby pretty much untouched. Friends, that's our call, to jump in the backseat, to do whatever it takes, to gather. Our, our mission statement isn't just the church helping people find and follow Jesus. The call is for everybody. So wherever you're at, the goal is to help other people find and follow Jesus. And guess what, friends? We realize we're not perfect. We're all on this journey. But let me close with this last verse I love. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he says, are any of you burdened? Any of you weary? Come to me. And I will give you rest. For my burden is light. My yoke is light. I'm calling you to work. This yoke entering in with Jesus. He's saying my work, my assignment, it's light. It's not as difficult as you think to help other people find me. And so that's the call. The call is to help people. To jump in the back seat to cover when it needs. The call is not just to feed ourselves but to feed others. So I want you to ask yourself this week, what is my step? What's my next step in spiritual maturity? How can I grow in following Jesus? How can I share the hope that I have? Would you pray with me? God, you're a good God. As we sang this morning, you are a good, good father. Man, you're an incredible God to us. We thank you that you, just as that mother, that's a picture of how you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. Father, we don't deserve it, yet you laid out your life and you called us to follow you, to lay down our lives so that others could live. Father, we pray as a church that we would be about other people living and not just ourselves. Father, would you open up our eyes to see this city, how we can love the city left and right, people in our workplaces, in our own homes, to share the hope that we have within you. Father, we're not perfect. We're going to have to ask people for forgiveness. We are going to be the, the kids throwing milk against the wall. And we're going to have to ask for forgiveness and continue on growth. But God, help us in this journey. You promise to carry us. You promise to work with us. And you promise life. May we find life in you as we lead others and help others find you. God, I thank you that you came to us. Father, you are coming to us here today and you say, come, follow me. God, let us follow you on this journey. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.